BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everybody. How's it going? We're live. Ben, that's a nice shirt you have on today. You know, I thought I'd uh, up my game. <laughs> you know, D, I'm always trying to look a little better for you and uh, the guests now see me. Aww. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, and I think it's really important uh, that uh, podcasters realize or recognize that we're role models when it comes to fashion and that people look to us. Like, that's why <laughs> that shirt you're wearing right now, thousands and thousands of people across America are going, you know, I want to look like Dr. D. It's only you. It's only you that can see me. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, take that out of the, uh, you know, the podcast. Would you edit that one? Video streaming coming soon on the Ben Jarofsky show. All right. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, January 13th is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank the following sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, their sponsors as well. And today's Ben Jarofsky show, as well as every Ben Jarofsky show, is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Reader. You have a song of the day? Okay, Kyle on the live stream chat, I guarantee he doesn't know uh, who Bare Naked Ladies are. It's a group. Oh my God, are you kidding? Oh my God, one time they were at uh, the United Center and I waited in line all night to see them. And my favorite song is Cover Up. Their song Cover Up. Do you know that song? I know it. I know it very well. Uh, huge fan you are there. But your song of the day from the Rolling Stones, Get Off My Cloud. Oh, it's a good song. Hey, hey, you, you get off of my I'm Charlie Watson drums. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. <laughs> it is Wednesday, January 13th, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program legendary Chicago journalist, Monroe Anderson. And now your host, legendary Chicago journalist in training, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this MAGA Takes the Fall Wednesday, and here's why. So as I speak, the House of Representatives is debating whether to impeach President Donnie again. Two schools of thought on this matter. Let's start with number one. Trump clearly incited his cult-like followers to siege the Capitol last Wednesday. We all heard it. Words matter. We should hold Trump accountable for his actions. No one, not even Donald Trump, is above the law, etc., and so forth. Number two. Oh, come on, man. That was just Donnie being Donnie. He was tra- just talking trash. He didn't really mean for MAGA to besiege the Capitol and hit a cop over the head with a hockey stick and bash another cop over the head with a fire extinguisher and wear pro-Nazi sweatshirts and break down doors and chase police up stairwells and steal stuff from Nancy Pelosi's office and scare the hell out of everyone in the building and in America and the world and carry a Confederate flag uh, through the Capitol. Okay, maybe he meant that. Plus, you say you want unity, Dems? Well, now let's show some unity. Unity as in let Donnie do whatever he wants and get away scot-free. That's the Republican argument that they're putting forth. The law and order and liberty crowd. That's law and order for you. Liberty for me. Meanwhile, stories are breaking about some of the individual rioters, some of the individual insurrectionists who are dumb enough to follow Donnie's call to action. All kinds of folks. A wide array, including an Olympic gold medalist. 
Clint Keller is his name. He's a swimmer. Won two gold medals, one in 2004, another in 2008, as part of the 4x200 freestyle relay team, which was led by the great Michael Phelps, among others. Anyway, old boy Clint Keller, well, he's in heck of a trouble, mainly because there's no doubt that it was, was, that it was Mr. Cleet Keller in the Capitol. For one thing, he's hard to miss. He's six foot six, uh, which is really tall. For another thing, you can see who it is because he's not wearing a mask. You know, he being of the MAGA persuasion. COVID? It's not real, is it? I'm not wearing a mask. And if all that wasn't enough clues, he was wearing a U.S. Olympic team jacket. There are no truth to the rumors that he was also wearing one of those little stickers that you wear in high school reunions that say, hi, my name is Clay Keller. Let's pause to think about this, ladies and gentlemen. The arrogance to think that he could just walk away without any consequences for having invaded the Capitol. I mean, I guess I can understand why he would think that. The man he loves, Donnie Trump, gets away with murder. No reason to think that the Trumpettes, or whatever MAGA calls itself, can't do the same thing. Well, it wasn't long before his old pals in the swimming world identified him and let everyone know what he was up to, probably because they didn't want in any way to be associated with him. Turns out, Clee Keller works for Hoff and Lee, a real estate company in Colorado, or used to. When reporters came a-calling to Hoff and Lee, the company confirmed Clee Keller's employment and then removed his profile from their website and then issued a statement that said he did not, he, that he had resigned from his position. And then they released the following statement, which I will now read. <clears throat> Hoff and Lee supports the right of free speech and lawful protest, but we cannot condone actions that violate the rule of law, end of quote. And so it looks like Clee Keller is paying a price, even as Republicans argue that Donnie Trump should go free. Michael Cohen warned you, MAGA. Michael Cohen, of course, the former lawyer for Donnie Trump, worked for Trump for many, many years. Then he took the fall and ended up in the federal pen. He told you, from experience, you climb into bed with Donnie Trump and you're going to wind up with fleas or some kind of plague. The point is, it's just not going to be good for you. It'll be okay for Donnie, but not for you. To this point, this breaking news... Just before I came on the air, D, that was the sound of the smashing bottle. <clears throat> oh, my God, Mitch McConnell, you are slick. Mitch McConnell, Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader of the Senate, has announced that he won't reconvene the Senate for an impeachment trial. <laughs> it's breaking news. Yes, he won't reconvene the Senate for impeachment trial uh, in the next few days while he's still the leader of the Senate. Basically, he's waiting until uh, Joe Biden is taken over as president and Chuck Schumer is taken over as leader of the Senate. And then let them deal with this mess. This comes one day after Mitch McConnell had one of his sidekicks tell the New York Times that he's open to impeachment. Tell you what, that old Mitch McConnell. He's wily as a fox. What he's doing is he's distancing himself from the Ted Cruz's and the Cleet Kellers of the world, the dummies who will follow Trump wherever he leads. But he's not going to lift one finger to see that Trump's punished for his deeds because he doesn't want MAGA to get all mad at him. The only ones who get punished in this world are the Cleet Kellers, the true believers who are so dumb and deluded They'd follow Donnie off a cliff. We got a great show today, everybody. The great, the legendary Monroe Anderson will be here. We'll be picking up our political conversation for we left it off last week when the, the Marauders took over the Capitol. Good, good look. What will happen this week? As I look at Monroe on my, on my uh, Google Meet, see what, what untold stories he's seeing in the news through his eyes. Anyway. Monroe Anderson, plenty of political talk ahead, but before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man that Cleet Keller fondly calls. I've never met that guy in my life. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's take that one out and, and substitute with this D in the podcast. The man that Michael Phelps fondly calls Dr. D with the news. Never met him either. How's it going? Oh, he's a swimmer. That's right. Michael Phelps. Yes. 
Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. And I hope no one is starting to get sick of our reoccurring Madigan bus bit because today it continues. But I think today may be the payoff. And my, what a difference a day makes. We have someone new to welcome on to the bus. The bus waiting to figuratively roll over Michael Joseph Madigan and replace him as Speaker of the House. And unlike everyone else on this bus, this guy's coming on and he is immediately taking the wheel. Move over, Ann Williams. You're not driving anymore. He's currently uh, waiting outside the bus as we speak, Ben. And it looks like, hold on. It looks like he's on his cell phone. He's been on that thing all day. All right, well, uh, let me just check the bus door to make sure he is, in fact, uh, on his phone. Hold on a second. Oh, wait, that's the bus. Oh, wait, hold on. All right, yeah, he's on his cell phone. Wait, where's the little cell phone noise? Oh, what what am I, just super producer? (laughs) Dude, we don't have meetings. Wait, what's her name? Velma, what happened to that? Yeah, we, the sound department in this this podcast is really, I don't know, T. Yeah. Well, that's my job, so you just kind of, WBEZ, <laughs> if you're listening, I do a good job. Uh, by the way, uh, D, don't forget to take the song off the top, okay, because I said it in my I don't edit anything. WBZ. Okay, let's open up the bus door here. Oh, my goodness. Still the same thing. <laughs> Something's going on with my equipment today. <laughs> That's what she said. Okay, let's just move on. Let's begin in the city of Chicago, and our coverage of the Chicago Teachers Union continues. The, oh, Ben, you got a phone message there. The mayor and her Chicago public schools team wants teachers back in the classroom. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, good afternoon, Madam Mayor. And our friends in the <laughs> Chicago Teachers Union are like, uh, global pandemic, no thanks. We're going to continue remote learning and, you know, stay home and save lives, a slogan brought to you by our Chicago mayor. So now we're seeing some teachers who have refused to return being locked out of their remote teaching account. And now to the latest. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Stefano Esposito. Wrapped in blankets and hunched over laptops, a handful of locked out Chicago public schools teachers set up their remote classrooms outside the Belmont Cragen home of Chicago Board of Education President Miguel DeValle Wednesday morning. The CTU delivered a press conference early in the morning. I have the audio. It's live from Diwali's house early this morning. I'd like to hear it. Here it go. Good morning, everyone. My name is Katsali Castro. Um, I am a middle school teacher in Chicago Public Schools. I am here with fellow members today, this morning, in front of Del Valle's house to continue bringing attention and adding on the pressure to the older people of Chicago, to the mayor, to Dr. Jackson about this unsafe reopening plan of CPS. Not to mention, we now have teachers that have been locked out of their accounts for choosing to stay safe and stay at home, which is also a directive of the mayor to the public. We are here today to continue our teaching. Locked out or not, we want to teach, and we want to teach in a safe manner. Wow. Yes, this is um, pretty predictable uh, when the Board of Education, uh, the Chicago Public Schools, and Mayor Dory Lightfoot uh, essentially tells teachers, shut up and get in that classroom in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, by the way, I have to say, the Chicago Tribune, well, Little shout out to the Tribune. They usually I'm uh, very critical of their editorial board, justifiably so, uh, and of Johnny Cass, <laughs> uh, who is so far right wing. There is no truth to the rumor, none whatsoever, that Johnny was wearing the Viking helmet at the Capitol. Okay, I just made that up. Uh, anyway, uh, but uh, their coverage was actually sort of uh, sympathetic. To the teachers, I thought today. I was really surprised. I read it. I'm like, this is not my father's tribute. This is not the tribute that I grew up reading and hating. <laughs> they're sympathetic to him. And they were just sort of pointing out the obvious, something that we mentioned yesterday. And it really, I think we'll mention this every single day as this goes on. That kind of undercuts your notion, Madam Mayor and Janice Jackson, that 
you're reopening the schools because you really think children um, need that education, that you're really doing this for the poorest kids in the city of Chicago who are falling every day further and further behind uh, their wealthier peers, counterparts. You really kind of undercut that message when you lock teachers out of their accounts so that they can't do remote learning. I mean, what about the kids who've decided or their parents have decided that they don't want them to go back to the classroom? Who's teaching them? Now, there's no truth to the rumor, though this rumor has been spread around, uh, that Dennis is doing uh, this remote learning. No truth to that rumor whatsoever. I can tell you right now that Dr. D has not left his apartment in six months, except for an occasional excursion to Alton. So he's not teaching it. Johnny Cass is not teaching him. The editorial board of Chicago Tribune is not. We don't know who's teaching him. And it was, it was very unclear that the article tried to, like, pin that down. If the teachers can't get access to their accounts to teach their kids, then who's teaching them? And I'm wondering, like, why would you do that? Why would you lock the teachers out of their accounts so they can't teach their kids? Now, you can say, well, Ben, it's because for financial reasons, we don't want to have to pay the teachers. Well, I mean, that could be a whole other issue that you deal with after the fact. You know, like how much the teachers get paid. We talked, we discussed this yesterday, I want to say, or the day before. I can't remember. Losing track of time. Like maybe you dock the teacher's pay if they don't teach in the classroom as 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 well as uh, on online. Maybe that's your position. The point is the teachers were making a good faith effort to do what they do, and that's teach. They don't believe with you. They don't agree with you that it's safe to go back to the classroom, but they still want to teach. And you lock them out of their computers? Makes no sense. If you really care about the kids, why would you deny them access to the teachers that you think they need to learn from? Very confusing. If I didn't know any better, I say that this was just a way. What? Well, the Tribune headline kind of sums it up, D. And I will now read from the Tribune headline. CPS tries to teach bulky educators a hard lesson. Pay withheld access to portal cut for those wary of in-person class. Yeah, they're trying to teach the teachers a lesson. They're sending a message. This has nothing to do with educating children. This has nothing to do with closing the gap between those students who are suffering the consequences of inequity in our society. Inequity has existed for years and years and years, and the Board of Ed has never done anything about it. No, this has to do with sending a message to recalcitrant teachers and the Chicago Teachers Union, mostly the Chicago Teachers Union, that they will not be tolerated, that their disobedience will not be tolerated, and that in the city of Chicago, the mayor calls the shots and the teachers fall in line. So I would say it's kind of a union-busting move, to tell you the truth. It's got nothing to do with education, that's for sure. And it's how far we've fallen. It really is. It's like, well, I don't know, second thought. Maybe it's just a continuation of the policy uh, that Rahm established. But, D, I, I, I would say that uh, absolutely, when you keep teachers from teaching in the name of helping students learn, that seems like a bit of a contradiction to me, D. Similarly, ordering teachers to go back to school, ordering kids to go back to school in the middle of a pandemic, when you're pointing out that there's no, vaccines are still not coming to Chicago, and it's a very dire situation for everyone, that's a bit of a contradiction as well. A lot of mixed messages out, the, out there, D, a lot of mixed, mixed messages. The group of teachers early this morning also knocked on the Chicago Board of Education president's door. But, Ben, there was no answer. Surprise, surprise. No one answered. Oh, at uh, Miguel Devay's house? Yeah. 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 I remember the last time they, uh, they did the protest outside of uh, Miguel Devay's house, and he actually came out, which I thought was kind of cool. He chatted with them or whatever. Miguel Devay, former state senator. Uh, back, going back to 1980s. Uh, Dennis remembers this. 1986. Yep. Miguel Devay stunned the uh, Chicago political world when he defeated uh, the incumbent Edward Nedza, a uh, good friend of Dennis's from back in the 80s. And, All of uh, that is true. 
<laughs> just throw this out to make sure he's listening. Uh, in those days, uh, Miguel de Valle was very much uh, a reformer uh, and an independent, closely allied with Harold Washington. And he went down to the state Senate and I thought had an admirable career uh, as a proponent of good government legislation. One of the more, everybody uh, viewed him as an honest uh, uh, legislator who stood up for the right things. Then he he ran for mayor. Want to say? Oh yeah! Before he ran for mayor, he uh, resigned from the state senate and became Mayor Daly's city clerk uh, as part of that dream ticket that Mayor Daly put together in two thousand six, two thousand seven. And I always thought at the time, this is ancient political history, that Mayor Daly, shrewd move by Mayor Daly, uh, shrewd oper- uh, operative uh, Mayor Daly was uh, that you bring Miguel de Valle on to the ticket. Uh, it undercut Luis Gutierrez, the Congressman Luis Gutierrez, who was thinking of running against Daley for mayor back in 2007. So Devay showed that, you know, for a good government reformer, he knew how to play the game. Uh, he ran for mayor in 2011 against uh, Rahm. I voted for him. Yes, I did. I voted for him, Dave. Uh, and then he largely disappeared from public life. Uh, but came back when uh, Lori Lightfoot named him as president of the school board. Now he's in this uncomfortable position because school board appointees are generally expected to do whatever the mayor says. That's, that's kind of like why they put you on the school board. You don't question the mayor. You don't embarrass the mayor. That gets us into a lot of trouble when they rubber stamp some of the dumber ideas uh, that the mayors come up with. But that's generally how the game is played uh, in Chicago. So now I, I'm like, this is, like, if you had told me, D, back in 1987 that we would have a moment in 2021 where uh, activists and teacher union members would be protesting outside of Miguel Devaya's house because he was siding with an all-powerful mayor against the union, I would have had a hard time believing that. But things change. You know, people go through what evolutions in their life and transform transformations in their life. So that's where we are right now. Miguel de Valle uh, is the subject of a protest from the Chicago Teachers Union. Yeah, everybody goes through phases and changes. Like that one time you wore Birkenstocks every single day. Right? <laughs> Birkenstocks, I think they're called that. I, I I'm not even sure how to respond to that. I think I actually do have. Man, who is calling me? What do they think I got nothing to do right oh, now? Oh, this is great podcasting content here. <laughs> Time now for who is calling me on the Ben Jarofsky show. Go, Sorry, call by accident. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, it's I, the Birkenstock. Those are sandals, and I think I do have yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really proud of that. Of course you do. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Quite a bit of statewide news to talk about. Oh, yes. Now, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've been saying this for about a week now. It started as a joke, but now I'm really starting to wonder. Hey, Illinois Republican Representative Adam Kinzinger. Have you been smoking that legal reefer? (laughs) Are you finding your inner lefty? (laughs) Representative Adam Kinzinger said Tuesday he will vote to impeach President Donald Trump, saying there is, quote, no doubt in my mind that the president of the United States broke his oath of office and incited the January 6th insurrection that left five dead. Kinzinger, who represents a district south of Chicago, earlier called for the 25th Amendment to be invoked to remove Trump from North. office. What's that? North of Chicago. No. Oh. <laughs> well, it says here, it says here in the, in the Sun-Times south of Chicago. So I don't know. Is it that long that it extends also south of Chicago? I would look it up on my computer right now. Frank! Um, I got a boomer fear that if I push the wrong button, the whole thing crashes. Yes. But that's uh, the 16th Congressional District. Uh, uh, Heidi Henry, Murray Briel, the Heartland Mamas, and uh, uh, Danny B. And that's a district that goes it goes so far north that it touches the border of Wisconsin. So there may be a portion. It's a long, narrow uh, strip. You know, they do do all this for gerrymandering purposes. There may be a piece of it that actually, like, falls south of some part of Chicago. I don't have a copy of the map in my mind, but uh, whatever. You know what? 
I, I, I apologize for interrupting your flow. All right, geography nerd. Let's move on here. Kinzinger earlier called for the 25th Amendment to be invoked to remove Trump from office. Kinzinger was the only Republican to vote with Democrats on a resolution calling Vice President Mike Pence to invoke the 25th. Kinzinger joins a group of no one listening's favorite, Representative Liz Cheney. The number three Republican in House leadership, Representative John Katko of New York, Representative Fred Upton, Republican of Michigan, and Representative uh, Jamie Herrera uh, of Washington. In announcing they will join with Democrats to support the article of impeachment, the House is expected to debate and pass Wednesday with a week left to Trump's term. Yeah. Uh, as we speak, the uh, House of Representatives having that debate. Monroe will be coming on shortly. We'll be discussing it at length. Uh, and uh, from what I what I heard, the early uh, part portions of the debate, Republicans, as I said at the outset, were sticking with the, the line that uh, that was just Donnie being Donnie. Come on. Give him some slack, huh? And I thought you believed in unity. <laughs> unity. It's funny. They're trotting out unity. I didn't hear one word about unity from the Republicans for four years. Donnie was bashing the hell out of Democrat and Democrat and Republicans were picking it up. Everybody was a socialist, a radical, a lefty, commie. I mean, you should hear uh, you should you should hear what uh, uh, Congresswoman Mary Miller has to say about the opposition and her husband, Chris Miller, what they state representative from from Southern Illinois, what they have to say, really Southern Illinois, not like fake Southern Illinois. <laughs> it's funny that Chicagoans, man, every, I've said this before, I'll say it again. And who am I? Cause I am so geographically challenged, but everything that's not in Chicago or Cook County is downstate. Even if it's upstate, ups downstate. <laughs> okay. Do you say so? It's downstate. Anyway, where was I? Oh yes. Uh, so I, Adam Kinzinger, all right, Heidi Henry, if you're listening, I I know he's not he's not in any ways in any way uh, a progressive, and I really realize and appreciate that so many great actors. Neil Muhammad uh, was running, good friend of the show, uh, to unseat uh, Adam Kinzinger, and uh, so many 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 great Democratic activists uh, from the 16th Congressional District have put their neck on the line, worked really hard to unseat Adam Kinzinger, and so they get irritated at me when I say anything remotely nice about him, but. As much as I appreciate their position and as much as I respect the hard work uh, that they've done and as much as I'm a fan of them, I got to say, this guy's been an ally in this fight. And I just feel as though like th- this fight against Donald Trump and Trumpism is this, perhaps the most serious political fight of my lifetime. When I say that, I think I would go there. And I'm an old guy. I've got a lot of lifetime. That's a bold statement. You are very old. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, we need every ally we can we can find. And there's not many of them. If you listen to that debate, in quotes, at the House of Representatives right now, you will see one Republican after another stand up and defend Donnie, more or less. Ah, it's this Donnie being Donnie. He didn't want him to charge the White House. It's funny how stuff happens every now and then. You know, they're trying to figure out what position they could take so they could avoid alienating MAGA. I'll point this out. Donald Trump, MAGA controls the Republican Party and Donald Trump controls MAGA and they're still loyal to him. That's 40 percent. I don't know, 35 to 40 percent of the voting population right there. So if you're a Republican congressman in a district that's gerrymandered to guaranteed reelection, your reelection, that's guaranteed to be run by Republicans. Guess what? Your political future is going to be determined by MAGA lovers. MAGA man and woman will be determining your future. So, you know what? I got this book, Profiles and Courage. I'm going to show it to Dennis. I found this book uh, in the attic of my parents' house. I was cleaning out. It was written many years ago by John F. Kennedy, former president John F. Kennedy. He actually didn't write it, but he got his name on it. That's a whole other story, D, which I'll go into uh, at a later time. But the whole theme of the book. It's legislators, Congress um, and senators who risked their political careers to do the right thing. And so that 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 phrase profiles and courage is one that many uh, representatives take with pride. 
Many, many politicians, Richard Ogilvy, former governor of the state of Illinois, uh, was very proud of the fact that he lost, he did the right thing where he uh, united with Democrats to push through a state income tax that enabled the state of Illinois to pay its obligations and he paid for it by being defeated when he ran for re-election in 1972. But he did the right thing. And so that's like a, a badge of pride. You do the right thing even if you pay the consequences for it. Very few people are willing to do that, particularly in the Republican Party at this moment. And so they show that they were willing to put up with a tyrant, a bully, an inciter of rioting. They were willing to put up with behavior that they would never in a million years tolerate from the Democrats because they were afraid of losing uh, their reelection. Or maybe they actually believed the stuff he was saying, which is even worse. So I gotta give a little love to Kinsinger because he has been consistent over the last month in opposing Trump. And so what, five? Is that right, D? Is that what you said, five? Five Republicans? There's like, I don't know, 200 of them in the, in the House. It's <laughs> at <Is it> five. <laughs> well, you're not going to have to uh, update uh, Kennedy's book, Profiles and Courage, with a chapter on Republicans in 2021. Five of them. Profiles and non-courage. So i got to give a little shout out to Adam Kinzinger. Uh, maybe it is the reefer. I don't know, D. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Oops. Nothing wrong with a little reefer. Come on, D. You know that. Yeah. And we got to give a little shout out to Frank on the live stream chat. The Illinois 16 is the Southwest suburbs. That is correct. The Southwest suburbs? Doesn't yes. it go as far north as the state of Wisconsin? The Illinois 16th is the Southwest suburbs. All right, hold on. Let me look it up. Yeah, we got nothing going on. Go ahead. Look it up. Yeah. All right. Hold on. 16th Congressional oh, District, Illinois. Nope. Florida. Oops. Sorry. Okay. We are moving on. <laughs> Oops. Sorry about that. And yeah. I wrote 26. I didn't even write 16. Guys, he's getting Not there with that smartphone. He's getting there with that iPhone. All right. Uh, here we go. Hold on. Oh. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, goes all you know what? Uh, it goes around the city of Chicago. So technically, you could say, you know, this is one case where we're both right, okay? Because <laughs> it's both north of Chicago and south of Chicago. So we're both right. How about that? Everyone's happy. Unity on the Ben Jarofsky show. The Sun Times was right, and I was right, Dave. How about that? Huh? Sometimes it's like, don't you dare correct us. So for those still listening, now the things (laughs) getting done in 2021. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Rachel Hinton. The headline reads, Senate advances Black Caucuses legislation bill on social equity and cannabis licensing. The Illinois Senate advanced bills focused on improving social equity in the state's cannabis licensing process and another that could end cash bail early Wednesday, hours before new members are sworn in. In a session that went well into the early morning, the Senate passed a follow-up to legislation from 2019 aimed at making the social equity commitment in the state's cannabis licensing program better. The bill creates two systems for the licensing lottery, tiered and qualified, to determine who might receive a dispensary license. The legislation would also create a new lottery for 75 additional adult-use cannabis dispensary licenses for those in the first round who scored high, but eh, no pun intended there, but didn't receive one of the first 75 licenses. Yeah, I have to read this uh, legislation a little carefully. Uh, I'm just hearing this for the first time, D. We talk about this all, uh, m- many, many instances. Just recently with Al Harrington, I urge everybody to check that interview out. Al Harrington, former NBA basketball player, uh, is now getting into uh, the cannabis business. He calls himself the king of cannabis. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, Illinois was so proud of itself for having passed a, a cannabis legalization bill. What was that, 2019? And they were so excited when it became legal at the start of this year. And uh, Even now, they're anticipating spending the money. The city of Chicago is borrowing against future proceeds. I think cannabis was considered an essential business. Isn't that right, Dee? So they, they didn't have to shut down at the height of the, um, the pandemic, which 
I should stop saying at the height of the pandemic, like it's past. Uh, although it's funny that, you know, it's easy to think that the height is gone because uh, schools just opened in Chicago. Get back in that classroom. Uh, so, but they uh, fell on her face and a, uh, a program that was uh, intended um, at least one level uh, to undo the inequities and the harm of the war on drugs somehow or other has perpetuated the very inequities uh, that we rail against. No black people got any of the licenses. So now they're trying to figure out how to get out of that uh, hor- horrific situation. And uh, so I have to re- sift through that and read that D to see if actually it will result uh, in any uh, uh, dispensaries being turned over to black people. But it seems as though they're trying to rectify a bad deal. So good for them. Right, D? Yeah. And finally, before this fake bus bit, Ben, I don't know if you knew this or not, but 2020 weather in Illinois was warmer and wetter than usual. One uh, started the year in in (laughs) mid-January where uh, area between Vandalia and Effingham received over five inches of rain in a two-day period. Um, And that's pretty heavy rainfall for any time of the year, let alone in January. And and that caused some pretty significant flooding along the Kaskaskia River. Trent, what about the city of Chicago? The city of Chicago recorded its wettest May on record, okay. which broke the previous record, which was set in 2019, right. which broke the previous record, which was set in 2018. So this, this year was the third consecutive year that they recorded their wettest May on record for the city. Interesting. Man, it's good stuff. A lot of people are into the weather, D. You get all your news you need in the weather report. Don't remember that. Don't forget that. By the way, did he say May? The month of May? Is that how old that was? The month of May? Did he say that? Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. May was a wet month in the city of Chicago. Who knows? I forgot all about May. Yeah, shout out to you listening. Boy, that was boring. All right. Uh, Here we go. Mike Madigan, step on down and get (laughs) under this bus. The latest updates on the Illinois speaker gig. Recap. Long, 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 long time speaker Mike Madigan announced that he will suspend his campaign for speaker if someone else can acquire the number of votes needed to be the next speaker. That number is 60. On Monday, it looked like state rep Ann Williams would be the one to take the charge for 60, but hold that thought. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, and Rachel, boy, I am earning my paycheck this week, Hinton. (laughs) State rep Emmanuel Chris Welch was selected by his Democratic colleagues to become the next speaker of the Illinois House today, moving the hillside legislator one step closer to succeeding the longest serving state house speaker in U.S. history. Welch secured 69 votes in a second meeting of the House Democratic Caucus this morning. Sources in the room told the Chicago Sun-Times that's only four short of the entire 73-member Democratic Caucus. The vote came just minutes before the scheduled swearing-in of newly elected members of the General Assembly when the House will vote for a successor to, uh, to Speaker Mike Madigan. Regarded as a Madigan loyalist, Welch, 49 years old, was first sworn into the House in 2013 and will start his fifth term later Wednesday. He would be the 70th Speaker of the Illinois House and the first black person to hold the position. Welch, the leading contender for the top House leadership spot, fell five votes short earlier Wednesday morning of the 60 needed from his Democratic colleagues to get the job. Uh, Welch received 55 while 17 people voted present as the House Democratic Caucus tried to determine who they want to succeed, Michael Madigan. All right, a lot to unpack here. Uh, the quote you said, regarded, Welch regarded as a loyalist. Uh, and that's uh, had a smile when I heard that. That's uh, newspapers being very cautious. Uh, Chris Welch is very much uh, a Michael Madigan loyalist. Chris Welch got as far as he got uh, in the legislature because he's pretty shrewd political operator, number one. And number two, he's a loyalist to Michael Joseph Madigan. Now, personally, I do not think that's a bad thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a uh, uh, a loyalist to Michael jo- uh, Joseph Madigan. Michael Madigan's the most powerful Democrat uh, in the state of Illinois. Michael Madigan knows how to play the game. Michael Madigan is the state of Illinois when Mitch McConnell is for Republicans in the Senate. Are Republicans crying about Mitch McConnell? I don't hear Jim Durkin weeping about Mitch McConnell. Where's Darren Bailey talking about Mitch McConnell? They only want smart, crafty wizards of the legislative process to work on the behalf of the Republicans. And they're always trying to get the Democrats into putting someone like me in charge. (laughs) Yeah, put Ben in charge. Man, they would tie me in knots. I wouldn't know how to play the game. 
So when the Democrats have someone who really knows how to play the game, like Michael Joseph Batigan, the Republicans invest, I don't know, how many years has it been? Eight years of commercials pounding him to turn the public's opinion against him. Because what? He's a master of the legislative process. Oh, I can't have that with a Democrat. Only Republicans are allowed to do that. Like the Republicans in Wisconsin and the Republicans in Michigan and the Republicans uh, in the uh, Senate with Mitch McConnell. So a lot of hypocrisy coming out of the Republicans. They're really mad whenever they find a Democrat and plays the game as well and as slick as they do. That said, Michael Joseph Madigan, way, way, way too far had that property tax business going. So while he's uh, overseeing the laws that affect how much we pay in taxes, uh, he's getting tax breaks for all kinds of wealthy property owners to come to uh, his firm. Hey, come on, Michael Joseph Madigan. You didn't have to run a property tax business. That was an embarrassment. And then secondly, it turns out he looked the other way when Elena Hampton uh, released evidence that uh, she was sexually harassed. Uh, by other operatives of Michael Madigan's machine. He eventually made moves in that front after the story broke, but uh, he was very slow uh, to come to that. And then, of course, the one we've been talking about forever, uh, the Commonwealth Edison scandal, where Commonwealth Edison, in an attempt to win uh, curry favor with Michael Madigan, uh, put his cronies uh, into do-nothing jobs and doled out contracts to his cronies. Really embarrassing. Gave the Republicans ammunition to use against Madigan. So it was about time that the Democrats cut the court. And my advice to the Democrats was to go uh, with uh, Chris Welch, you know, and have Madigan step down and be like his text winner on the bench, the old pro advising him. And maybe that's where they'll head off. But don't look, guys. The reason the Democrat, the Republicans can't stand Chris Welch is that he's probably going to prove to be a shrewd political operator. I remember he used to come on the show, D. He's one of those guys who plays his cards very close to his vest. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not like going to just go off on tangents. You know, so I got my guy. I mean, everybody know I love guests who can talk. They go off on tangents. Uh, they volunteer their view of the world outside of just the very specific question I'm asking. They're fun to talk to. They're lightning. And they're powerful and passionate. Now, Chris Welch actually does remind me of Madigan, except like, uh, unlike Madigan, he is in the 21st century. He's got a cell phone. He can text. He's got a, a social media page, always featuring bits about uh, his family dancing and that kind of thing. So, uh, so a 21st century version of Michael Madigan. So I got no problem with that, D. That's how the game is played. You want an incompetent person uh, running the state house? No, the Republicans want that out of the Democrats so that they can, what, outmaneuver them? You know? Republicans want a guy like Mitch McConnell, who whispers to his uh, the New York Times through backdoor channels that he's not against impeachment and then delays an impeachment process so that Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden have to worry about it. That's a political animal plays the game. And it doesn't matter if he's allowing Donald Trump to get away with inciting insurrection against the government. It doesn't matter if he's letting Donald Trump get away with putting everyone's life in danger by turning MAGA uh, on the Capitol with their hockey sticks that they hit cops over the heads with. No, it's a, it's a master of the process. Republicans, when they see it, they go, oh man, he's a, that's how you play the game. But they don't want it. <laughs> when Madigan does it, it's unfair. Remember Boast? The congressman, he's now a congressman. He got promoted for this stunt. Threw his papers in the air, protesting Madigan. Now he's, he's in Congress. I don't hear him say one word about uh, Mitch McConnell, the games he plays. No, because you want smart, capable wheelers and dealers running the game for you. Wait, you talking personal. about this guy? I'm sick of it. Every yeah. year, we get power to one person. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah, Mike Post. Now he's a congressman. I think he was one, before I say this, I believe he was one who voted uh, to urge the House uh, not to count the electoral votes. I believe he was one of those. 
Oh, gosh, I shouldn't have said that. Frank, look that one up. I know Mary Miller was one of the, the people who voted that way, but I'm pretty sure Mike Bose was as well. <laughs> anyway, maybe not. I don't know. I have to, I have to double check that. The point is, uh, and I love it. I think it's kind of funny that Republicans are trying to make a big deal out of the fact that uh, Chris Welch is a regarded as a Madigan loyalist. Of course he is. All the Democrats, with the exception of the 19, are Madigan loyalists. And that the 19 were Madigan loyalists until the Commonwealth Edison indictment. Remember, they were all for Madigan. I can't think of anybody who wasn't for Madigan before uh, the Commonwealth Edison indictments came down. So you can make that argument about any of them, even Will Gazzardi. Could you imagine if Will Gazzardi was a speaker with oh the Republicans? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> To, so, quote, anyway. to quote Wilco, I don't know any songs I would have done a quote there. But just quoting now, Wilco every speech. Uh, do you have any more updates about this? Because I'm about to go on another riff. Well, I was going to say, we're talking about the Madigan uh, uh, ally deal here, but there's new allegations uh, surfacing from the Chicago Tribune about Mr. Welch as well. That's what I was You read the allegations, that's where I was going to go. Go ahead. Dude. No, no, it's all you, buddy. Well, the Chicago Tribune came out with this. Uh, there was a police report from 2002 uh, where um, uh, Chris Welch's uh, old girlfriend, no longer his girlfriend, accused him of grabbing her by the hair and uh, slamming her head. Uh, I guess well, I think it was a table. I don't have it in front of me, uh, but it's a pretty horrific scene that they uh, was planted uh, in the in my brain when I read the uh, with the story. Uh, it's very upsetting. Uh, it happened in 2002. Uh, the uh, the woman dropped charges. She called the police and dropped the charges. Chris Welch says that they were having a fight uh, and that he never did anything like that. Instead, she put she grabbed him. Um, so it's a very troubling image. Now, already, I'm a little disappointed that, uh, you know, Chris Welch is not dealing with this more forcefully. Again, he's talking through uh, spokespeople. This is very Madigan-esque. You know what I mean? That's how Michael Joseph did it. He let Steve Brown do all the talking, and he hid in the back rooms. Uh, So uh, it's a very troubling uh, allegation. A police report that uh, emerged. Chris Welch is saying that it's the the work of po- Republican political operatives. I'm, I'll bet you anything that it was Republican political operatives who got a hold of that police report. That's how the game was played. If it was the other way around, Democrats would be doing the same thing. So let's not kid ourselves. You know, if there was this troubling police report having to do with any Republican in the House, Democrats would put it out there. And that gets Chris Welch off to a stumbling start as he has to deal and confront this issue. Now, D, this story broke. Uh, was it was well, I read it on the Tribune, so it, that I read it in today's Tribune that was delivered to my house. So that means it was on the internet last night, and it was still sixty-nine votes. Did you say mm-hmm. for uh, so the overwhelming number of Democrats, women included, voted for him? So it'll be interesting to see uh, how it, all of them justify. Uh, their vote. But, you know, it's a stumble out of the gate. It's a stumble out of the gate. Uh, And Republicans are already uh, picking up on it. So, uh, look, I've made this accusation in the past. Uh, Republicans believe uh, that there should be an investigation of any allegation of uh, sexual harassment, uh, so long as the allegation is directed against the Democrat. In the case of Republicans, ah, come on that's just Donnie being Donnie. So uh, we'll see where this goes, D. Yeah, this story is, uh, like I said, just breaking. Uh, and uh, we'll see if uh, Chris Welch deals with it more forcefully than he's dealt with it so far. All right. Yeah, he did get enough votes. And uh, we're going to have to ask him about that event. Uh, looks like he's finally off his phone. He's waiting outside the bus here. Uh, ben, watch your feet. Let's welcome Mr. Welch onto the bus and let's get this show on the road. Hey, come on. Hope you got a CDL to drive this thing, buddy. Get on this bus, Chris Welch. Wait. Oh, I need you to pay, by the way. Okay. Thank you very much. Oh, can we keep the bus routine going for a while? I really like it. <laughs> well, today was kind of a shit show on it, but we'll see how the next one works. All right. Uh, and so here we are, Chris Welch. He is going to be running this bus here. That is correct. Oh, and? Oh, okay. Easy on the horn there, Mr. Welch. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess let's fire this bad boy up. All right. Okay. Come on. 
Pump the brakes, Welch. Pump it. Come on. There we go. All right. The show is on the road. The bus is on. And Chris Welch is at the wheel. Yeah, I, uh, like I said, folks, I don't believe. Well, I don't, I don't believe this is going to be a moment of crisis for the Democratic Party with Chris Welch running things uh, as opposed to Michael Madigan. And uh, Eric Zorn wrote a very uh, interesting column, uh, something I wouldn't have expected to ever read in the Chicago Tribune. But uh, Eric's not afraid to go in a little different direction uh, than most of the other columnists uh, at the Tribune. Johnny Cass, I'm thinking of, and the editorial writers. Uh, Eric's more liberal. And he wrote a column where he interviewed uh, Jamie Andrade, a good friend of the show came on the show, said much of the same things he told Eric in the column today. And that is uh, Democrats uh, will rue the day uh, that they uh, got rid of Madigan. Uh, that he was a very capable leader. And then Eric quoted Hamilton. And I was like, oh, my God, great minds think alike because I just saw Hamilton. Uh, but he quoted the portion of Hamilton where King uh, George III of England sings to the breakaway colonists. And I'm quoting, what comes next? You've been freed. Do you know how hard it is to lead? Oceans rise, empires fall. It's much harder when it's all your call. And uh, yes, indeed, the Democrats... There's always been that uncertainty that Democrats would talk about. Uh, Jamie Andrade talked about it openly on the show, that without Madigan, without his wizardry, without his mastery of the legislative process, the Democrats will suffer. And they're like, they won't be able to get the map through. That's their big concern, this legislative map uh, that's just ahead of us. And I, I just, I don't think it's that dire. I think that... Um, there's enough shrewd operators uh, in the legislature uh, to get maps through. So I don't think it'll be as dire as Jamie Andrade predicted uh, in Eric Zorn's column. So that's the great concern that Democrats have without their, their fearless leader. See, but see, here's the thing about Madigan, man. Madigan's moved, so, moved to the left over the last four years. So Rich Miller had a great comment about this. D. He's moved to the left over the last four years. But he used, but back in the day, he, he used that mastery of the uh, legislative process to bury a lot of progressive legislation. You know, to bury things like an elected school board to bury in Chicago, to bury things like uh, uh, an increase in uh, the minimum wage. You know, so there's a lot of progressive legislation that Madigan. I remember the gay marriage bill. He didn't think it was. Remember that one few years back, he didn't think it was time uh, to come out with that. So he buried it. I don't know what his ultimate goal was, but uh, that was the maestro. He decided. So, you know, yes, he's a master of the process, but it didn't always work so well for progressives. So, you know, it's a little, it's, it's like Eric is suggesting in his column today, a good column, I urge everybody to check it out. A little moment of uncertainty when there's a new leader, but I don't think it's as dire uh, as King George would be, would predict. All right, so at the moment, it looks like, one, Chris Welch will be taking the office of Michael Joseph Madigan. And to the big question about all this, how many Dirty apple cores is Chris Welch going to find in that office once he gets in there? They're going to be everywhere. This guy's been in for like almost 40 years. (laughs) Maggie loved apples. Yes, he did. He loved those apples. All right, that's that's our local news, guys. Joseph, that again. That's our local Uh, news. Remember, you can find us uh, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And we have a phone number. It's true. 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Call the Ben Jarofsky Show. We would love to hear from you. I have my hand in the air. Oh, yes. Yes, Mr. Jarofsky. Uh, Thank you, Dr. D, for calling on me. Now, there was one more story I wanted to discuss. Some of my favorite stories from the last, ooh, I'd say 10 years. And it's in uh, my beloved Bright One, Home Delivered as Always, authored by Fran Spielman. 
Uh, Alderman wants sign on Trump Tower to come down. Uh, Alderman Gilbert Viegas of the 36th Ward. Uh, Mayor Lori. What? <laughs> I'm doing my Obama. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, City Council floor leader. Plans to introduce an ordinance at the January 27th City Council meeting that would force the issue seven years after the vanity sign along Chicago's riverfront touched off a clash of giant egos with then Mayor Rahm Emanuel. I completely agree with that recitation of history. It's one of my favorite topics, Steve. How in the world did the city of Chicago allow Donnie Trump to place that big old sign T-R-U-M-P on the front of his tower overlooking the Chicago River. So it's really impossible to go anywhere downtown without seeing that name. Something that Dennis and I used to experience all the time in the old days when we take the brown line. Look at that building. Uh, That's my building. <laughs> we get on a brown line. Not your building. Right. I forget where we got on it. We got it on the western edge of uh, the loop. And it would come around, and the place, the, the train would be packed, and I'd be um, reading about the bulls on uh, my cell phone or doing something like a, obs, obsessed with some detail. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the train, as the train made that curve on Lake Street, Dennis would say, "Quote, look at my building." There you go, right on time. It's Donald Trump. And I would look up, oh, my God, that horrific sign. I know I'm not alone. 80, 80 to 85% of the city of Chicago voted against Donald Trump uh, in the 2016 election and in this election as well. They can't stand Donald Trump. And it's just like source, a source of such aggravation that Donald Trump would have his name on that building. And not only that... It's really, we've never had a hearing. Talk about, you know, I talk all the time about, the, I want to have hearings uh, at the city council level where we take the deep dive and learn, like, how it, how things happen in Chicago. Like, what's just like, like the timeline. Everybody's obsessively, all the lefties of the world are obsessively putting together a timeline about the insurrection at the, uh, at the Capitol, and I welcome that. And I find myself reading all those timeline stories, too. I'd like to see one for Chicago. Like, how did it happen that that Trump sign went up there? You know, and uh, I know that the initial approval uh, came under Richard M. Daly's regime. I, I remember that. Uh, but then it, the final approval came under Ra, And Donald Trump contributed $50,000 to Mayor Rahm's political campaign. And I don't think, I don't recall much resistance whatsoever on the part of Mayor Rahm to that sign until after the fact, until after it went up and there was outrage. And there was Rahm trying to make himself look to be as anti-Trump as he could. What an outrage it was. What a desecration of the Chicago River you know, so, but there's nothing I can do about it. So <laughs> let's move on with that. And I always thought the city's claim of helplessness in this matter was a little uh, disingenuous. Never really believed them. And I certainly, this is my great crusade, never believed that the city should countenance uh, Donald Trump's tax lawyers from going uh, to the Cook County assessor and asking for a tax break. He said, well, the assessments have to be lowered because we can't rent the property. And we're not making as much money off of that building as we expected. So therefore, we should not pay as much in property taxes. It's only fair. That was your argument. And my argument was, it's really hard to claim uh, that you deserve a tax break or a tax break is warranted uh, on the grounds that you can't rent your uh, spaces when you have a sign on the building that so many people find offensive. I believe that that sign lends itself uh, to just sort of the disgust that people have for this building and would lead many potential uh, renters not to want to go anywhere near your building. So you can't have it two ways. So take the sign off. If you want the tax break, take the sign down. That was my argument. And of course, it didn't go anywhere, but uh, here we are. What is it now? Six years later after the sign was put up. I remember that when that uh, sign went up, there was a big fight between Blair Kamen. 
uh, excellent uh, architectural writer for the Chicago Tribune and Donald Trump that went at it. Uh, came and said it was a desecration to have that sign on that building. Donald Trump uh, argued against him. So shout out to Blair Kamen. He's moving on. He's uh, leaving the Tribune. But uh, I agree with Kamen back in 2014. And I agree with Viegas right now. Let's get that sign down from that building and let's do it now. And Viegas says that he has the, the, the authority to do so because you cannot let uh, Trump's name have that prominent position uh, if he is what the leader of an insurrection against uh, Congress. Um, so I think that's a very valid point. I would take it down anyway and see in court, Donnie. Uh, but uh, that's the argument that Viegas is making. And you know, D uh, Monroe Anderson's about to join us when we take uh, come back from a break. Let's see what Monroe Anderson thinks about that. Maybe he's more liberal, open-minded about this and say, Ben, I've come to really appreciate that Trump sign on that building because it shows how welcoming Chicago is. We'll throw open our arms to anyone, even a tyrant, a dictator, and a blowhard. So we'll see if Monroe Anderson champions uh, Donald Trump's sign D when we return from the spring. <laughs> 